How many of you, like me, conked out long before midnight last night? Okay, I'm glad I'm in good company. I, I, was, I was very happy to get my New Year's kiss at 11 o'clock and, and go to sleep. And, uh, well, actually not go to sleep. They were shooting bombs off all around me. So I'm, I'm sure I was still awake at midnight, but, you know, you do what you can. Turn to Genesis chapter 28 with me. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Woman, uh, years ago, decided to take her son to church. She had been raised in church. She knew this was the right thing. She was a little embarrassed that her little boy had gotten to be five or six, and she'd never taken him to church before. And so she went to a church of the same breed that she'd grown up with. And remember, this was years ago, and this was one of those hard-shell Baptist churches. The preacher was one of those old-school types that liked to stomp and sweat and shout when he preached. And uh, he, w- he had this little lapel microphone attached to his suit, and, and there was a cord that came out the back end and, and attached to a box in the, behind him that was the sound system. Y'all remember some of you old, who are old enough, that's the way it used to be. And this little boy was watching. He wasn't really listening to what the preacher said. He was just watching him get louder and louder and redder and redder in the face and pace more and more frantically and wave his arms more and more uh, uh, fervently. And he was watching that cord. He was keeping an eye on that cord. And Finally, in the middle of the sermon, the little boy said loud enough for everybody to hear, Mama, let's go home. If that man ever gets loose, he'll kill every one of us. <laughs> it's not autobiographical, I promise. But, it, you know, most of us have a little more history in church than that boy does. But I bet most of us don't know any more about worship than he did. I know that's hard for you to grasp. I, I, I'm starting today a, a series on worship, and, and I'm sure, uh, although you wouldn't say it out loud, deep down inside some of you are thinking, why are we going to talk about worship? I've, I know about worship. I've been in church every Sunday since I was you know, an unborn child in my mother's womb. I, I've been in church. I, I know how to do church. I know how to worship. Why don't you talk about something practical like, like my money or, or my job or my relationships or my goals? And And what I would say to you is, number one, you probably don't know as much about worship as you think. If you're like most of us, you can certainly learn a lot more. And number two, worship is important. In fact, you got to start there. If you don't have the proper connection with God, if you don't stay plugged into God, if you don't worship Him truly, that's going to affect how you spend your money, how you handle your relationships, how you live in your work and in your neighborhood and accomplish what God's placed before you. We have a vision here at at First Baptist. Uh, Back in September, many of you remember, the staff and I went away after months of talking to the church and and praying together and reading books together, and we we set our vision for the next few years of ministry, and, and it goes like this. We're calling on God to renovate our hearts as a congregation. We're calling on God to transform us, to revive us again, as that, as that song sa- said that we sang earlier today, so that we'll become a church where disciples are made and those disciples make disciples, or ordinary people get transformed. And that's, that's not revolutionary. I didn't make that up. That came out of the Scriptures. It's not new. And yet, we know it's not happening like it should, here or in most other churches in our country these days. We say this a lot as a staff. You may have heard us say this. It's kind of a slogan we have to remind us what we're here about. And it goes like this. It's it's about people, not programs. It's about people, not programs. And let me tell you what we mean when we say that. Programs are important. I'm I'm glad to preach every Sunday. I, I love doing it. 
I know that Robert loves leading the choir, leading worship. So does Nathan. Uh, you know, Christian loves leading the youth ministry. Kathy loves leading the children's ministry. Alan loves overseeing the life groups. And all of that's important. But I know, I know that it's a full-time job just to keep those programs running. And we could do the best job God made us capable of doing and still never changed a single life. We could have the best church programs in Montgomery County or the state of Texas, and nobody could get saved. It's not about the programs. It's going to take people being transformed by an encounter with the living God. And nobody these days is going to come to our church because we've got a great youth program or fantastic music or pretty good preaching, I hope. I mean, nobody's going to come for that. We're not living in that day anymore. They're going to come because they meet people who come from First Baptist who show them something different. So how do people get there? How do people's lives get changed? Last year, the staff and I spent a long time talking and thinking and praying about this, and we, we came to a point where we could articulate what we think it takes to see a life change. We know that only God can change people. We know that God, only God can, can make it to where angry people become peacemakers and grumpy people become joyful and, and people who are, who are filled with racial prejudice become people who are passionate about justice and equality and people who are sexually promiscuous and out of control become people who are faithful to, the, to God's standards for their sexuality and people who can't hold a job and can't manage their money become people who, who actually give instead of taking and, and broken families get restored and, and folks, most of all, who are distant from God come to know Him as Savior and and have His love and His peace and His salvation forever. We know only God can do that, but He also, in His Word, tells us He does that work through us, through the church. So what's our part in that process? Because I, I, I tell you, it's not just telling people, hey, come to church, come to life group, fix you right up. It doesn't work that way. So what do we need as a church need to do? What is our process for making disciples? You're going to hear this a lot in the coming year because this is basically going to be the theme of my preaching in 2017, but it comes down to three things. Number one, it comes down to connecting with God through worship, growing in Christ-like qualities through spiritual disciplines, and reaching others with His love. And if we as a church can, can help you connect with God every Sunday in worship, if we can help you formulate some spiritual disciplines so you'll start growing in the qualities of Christ, if we can give you opportunities to reach others with His love, you're going to see your life change, and through you, others are going to be transformed. So we're going to start today by talking about that first step, connecting with God in worship. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about what worship really is, because i got a clue for you. It's not just what happens here on Sunday mornings. It's a lifestyle. It's something that should be happening throughout our lives daily. And we're going to start with a story of a guy named Joseph, uh, Jacob, Jacob, um, who's a pretty famous guy in Scripture, and an experience he had of, of, of real worship, the first time he ever really worshiped. And as we talk about it, I think you're going to see some things that happen to Jacob that you perhaps have never experienced in your life. And the reason why I'm, I'm starting with this is I think most of us don't even know what we're missing when it comes to worship. And the way I illustrate it is, is this way. Have you ever noticed how much most kids love McDonald's? I mean, the, the, those golden arches are like the Pied Piper. It's, kids are like, oh, I must have my Happy Meal, and it's crazy. And, and, and if you want to know how true this is, you can do a very discouraging social experiment where you take a, a little child, hopefully with his parents' permission, and you take this child and you, you offer them 
some really good food. I mean, the best thing you know how to make, or if you're not a cook, the best thing you can order out. But the best food you know of, whether it's steak and potatoes or lasagna or pot roast or, or fried shrimp, whatever you're best at making and, and make it with the best ingredients and, and all the love and care in the world. And you place that before this little child and you also place before them some chicken McNuggets. Which one is that child going to choose? Yeah. I mean... 99 times out of 100, that kid will choose those disgusting, deep-fried chunks of mystery meat over good food night after day. And I don't get it. I was that way when I was little, too. But we look at that and we say, hey, they're kids. They don't know what good food is yet. And I say to you, that's how we are when it comes to the things of God. We don't know how good He is. We don't know how much he could satisfy us if we just let him. We don't know. We, we don't even have a taste for worship. And, and I'll give you a, a good example of what I'm talking about. Y'all know that I like football a lot. But notice the way we act, those of us who go to football games, notice the way we act at a football game. Let's say you go on a Saturday, your, your favorite college team, you get all geared up, you got your game face on, you, you pay the price to get in, you're there on time. Some of you get there early and tailgate, but you go in and you, you're passionate about it. You, you shout, you yell, you, you're emotionally invested. I mean, you're convinced you can pull your team to victory. That's your whole day. And then you wake up Sunday morning and you go and you sit in a pew. And you say, okay, impress me. Feed me. Give me something. I... I, I I got up earlier than I wanted to. I'm here. Come on. Show me something. Isn't that backwards, don't you think? Someone said it this way. I, I like this. We worship our work and work at our play and play at our worship. You know, we, we take the wrong things seriously. When this is where it all begins, in our connection with God. And so what I hope this message will do, I know this is a longer than usual introduction, is, is create in us this hunger for what really satisfies. We'll, we'll put in us a desire to say, okay, Lord, teach me to long for you in a feast on you. So here's Jacob. If you don't know the story, let me give you a quick overview. Jacob is the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. Abraham, of course, the first of all the Hebrews, the father of the Israelite nation. Jacob is going to become the namesake of Israel. God's going to change his name to Israel, and from him the people will come. His 12 sons will be the founders of the 12 tribes. I mean, this is a major figure in Scripture. And yet at this point in his life, he's just a young punk running away from home. He, he, has, he has deceived his father into giving him the blessing that belonged to his older brother Esau. He's a natural-born con man. He's good at this. He's basically only good at two things. He's good at at lying and taking care of himself, which means that if he were alive today, he'd make a pretty good politician, I think. But right now it means he's in trouble because his brother, big old Harry Esau, is ready to kill him. And so he has to run. He has to flee for his life. And he stops just outside a little town called Luz. And we're going to see this in the Scripture. And, and you need to know, in the ancient world, in the ancient Middle East especially, Hospitality was, was an extremely high value in the culture. And so if, if there was someone who came to your village you didn't recognize, 
it was, it was on you to invite them into your house and feed them. Kill the fatted calf if necessary. If night was approaching, you offered them a place to sleep in your own home. That was the way you did it. Your, your reputation as a community, as a family was on the line. It's noteworthy, as, as you read this story, you'll notice, Joseph comes to this place called Luz, and he's tired, it's, it's late at night, and no one offers him a place to sleep. No one invites him into their house. Either he was too afraid to approach the people or they could see the guilt all over his face. But either way, he has to lay his head on a rock. That's his pillow. Now Jacob, his lies and his selfishness have finally come home to roost. This has got to be the low point of his life. And then that's the very moment when he has an experience that changes him. Let's read together verse 10, chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I will be with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this, to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, although the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now, this was the defining moment of Jacob's life. This was a moment when he met God face to face. Jacob had known about God. He had believed in God up to this point, but he'd never really worshipped him. And he has this dream. He sees this stairway leading up into heaven, God's angels going up and down on that stairway. And what that said to Jacob was that was God's way of saying, you're not alone. You think it's all about you. It's, it's you against the world, but I'm here. I'm doing things all around you that you can't see. I am working in and around your life in ways you're not aware of. You may ignore me if you want, but God's will in heaven is being done on earth because I don't sleep. That's what God was saying through this stairway. And Jacob, Jacob wakes up and he's a new man. From this day forward, he's never the same again. The con man becomes a patriarch, the leader of a great people. And you go and read the rest of Jacob's story and you'll see he's, he's completely different. So what was it that changed him? What did Jacob really experience? And what does God want us to experience in worship? Number one, he experienced a sense of awe. That was part of worship. That should be part of worship. A sense of awe. Notice that Jacob wakes up and he, his first thought is, we got to rename this place. I don't know what Luz means in Hebrew. I know what Bethel means. It means house of God. And that's pretty audacious stuff. He's just this young punk. 
and he's renaming the town. I didn't show up in Conroe and try to change the name to Burgerville or something. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Jacob is just in awe of God. And by the way, Jacob becomes a man of such influence in the Middle East that that name change sticks and it becomes known as Bethel from that point on. But my point is, Jacob, up to this point, his life has been all about himself. It's been about me against the world. And it's up to me to get what I want. But from this day forward, it's different. Because in this moment, Jacob sees God and realizes, I'm just a little guy and he's huge. My problems are not that big next to him. My goals don't really matter compared to his dreams for me. Jacob is filled with a sense of awe, and he can't stop talking about it. You know, one of the things I have to tell you about myself is I love review sites on the internet. That's one of the greatest things that have come into the world lately is before I go to a restaurant, I can look it up on Yelp and figure out what are other people saying about this place? What should I order when I get there? Before I go to the movies, I can go to Rotten Tomatoes and find out what are the critics saying about this movie? Is it good? Is it bad? What's objectionable in it? What, do I, what should I look for? Before I go to a hotel, there are multiple sites I can look at and see, is this a good place to stay? And the reason these, these sites work is because everybody's got an opinion. And we may not all share it online, but we share it with one another. I guarantee you, if you've eaten at a new place lately that you really like, you told someone about it. If you heard that someone was staying at a certain hotel in a certain city and you've been there before, you probably said, hey, watch out, man, they got bed bugs there. Or, hey, you know, I know it's free breakfast, but take my advice and go to Denny's because it's not very good. I mean, you give people advice. You have opinions. One time, true story, Carrie and I were in an elevator in downtown Houston. Elevator was full. You know how people act on a full elevator. We just kind of stand there straight ahead, not talking. There was a lady on the elevator, a lady probably in her mid-80s, elegantly dressed, looked like she was going to church. And she broke the silence. I don't know what provoked her to say this. It just came out of nowhere. She just all of a sudden started speaking, and, and, and here's what she said, and I quote. She said, well, if anyone here is thinking about going to see Final Destination 4, don't do it. It is horrible. <laughs> and everybody just started laughing, like, who's taking their grandmother to see a horror movie? I mean, I've never seen that movie, and, and I'm not really interested, but she had an opinion about it, and I, I bet she was probably right. We all have our opinions, don't we? And we do that with church, too. I know, I know, I've been there. In fact, I do it too. When I go, when I'm on vacation, I go to other churches. I do the same thing. Boy, the, the, the choir song was awfully good. I didn't like any of those other songs, though. That's not what I would have chosen. And the life group today was good, but the preacher must have been having an off day. I didn't get anything out of that. I mean, we do that. We may not have four, five, three, two stars, but we talk. We talk amongst ourselves over lunch. You probably already sent a text message already. When is he going to stop? I mean, it, it's, it's what we do. And again, I'm not criticizing. I'm, I do the same thing. But, but let's be honest. Let's call it what it is. That's us treating worship like a restaurant, like a hotel, like a movie. It's saying, okay, I'm here. Now show me something. This is about me. This is, I come here to get something. And so I am reviewing this worship service based on how it met my expectations and fulfilled my needs and satisfied my desires and, 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 and agreed with my preferences. And that's what's important. And, and I'm just, I just want us to each ask ourselves, when's the last time that I went to worship 
And I didn't even think about what songs we sang and didn't even notice what the preacher said and, and wasn't even aware of whether it was too hot or too cold or, or whether that guy wore that tacky outfit or whether, you know, she looked at me funny. We didn't notice any of that. It, we were just so wrapped up in, man, God is amazing. His love is unbelievable. His power is so much greater than any problem I could have. It is such a privilege to be in His presence. When's the last time that you left here, your heart was so full of gratitude and joy and love, you didn't even want to turn on the TV or the radio, didn't even want to talk, didn't want to go out to eat, you just wanted to sit and savor that feeling for as long as it lasted. When's the last time you felt a real sense of awe and realized, I'm not that big. It's not about me. Because God wants us to experience that. Second thing that Jacob experienced that we should in worship, he discovered God's plan for his life. See, when Jacob's having this dream, God speaks to him. And if you know your Old Testament, you know that what he said to Jacob was a lot like what he said to Abraham a couple of generations before. He says, hey, this place where you are now, this is, this is going to be your home. This is where you're going to live. Your people, to the end of time, will, this will be their land. And you're going to be a great people. You're going, to, you're going to multiply for generation after generation. You're going to bless all the peoples of the earth. None of this was new. Jacob, I am sure, had heard this. Abraham had told his grandson. Isaac had told his sons. But Jacob was hearing it now as if for the first time. Because up to now, his life had been about himself. Up to now, I'm sure he'd, he'd thought to himself, yeah, whatever, Grandpa, I don't care about future generations. I don't care about being a blessing to the world. I just want to get what's mine. But today, things became different. Today, he really heard, God has a plan for me. And I want to fulfill it. And I can remember in my own life, when I was in my early 20s, and it was the first time in my life where I just devoted myself to pursuing God like never before, as best I knew how. Just reading the Word every day and, and really trying to get to know Him. Didn't have any agenda in mind. I wasn't trying to manipulate Him into giving me anything. I was just like, okay, Lord, I, I'm, I'm this young, dumb idiot, and I'm newly married, and I'm not very good at that, and, and I don't know what to do, so just, I, just, I just need you to, I just need to know you. And it was in the middle of that moment that God spoke to me so clearly, not with an audible voice, and I didn't see a stairway to heaven, but I knew what he was saying, and that was forget your previous plans and, and follow me and, and serve me full-time in ministry. And, and that, that's one of the best decisions I ever made. And it wasn't because I, I planned it out. It's because God spoke. And God has spoken to me several times since then. Again, not in an audible voice, not in anything visual, but I just knew here's something God wants me to do, sometimes something very small. Sometimes something very big, like coming to this church. And every time it's been in a moment when I've just taken my mind off myself and just said, I just need to know you, Lord. So when we forget about ourselves and focus on Him, He speaks. And we can't pin Him down. We can't, you know, we can't manipulate Him and say, okay, Lord, i got a big decision this week, so I'm going to fast for 24 hours and you better speak. He doesn't work that way. I'll just tell you right off the top of my, right at the beginning so you're not disappointed. God speaks when we don't expect it. But for me personally, it tends to happen when I'm focused on worshiping Him. And has that happened to you lately? Has that ever happened? Third thing, 
He experienced a sense of awe. He discovered God's plan for his life. But third, he surrendered to God's will. It isn't worship if you don't surrender. It isn't worship if you walk out the same as you came in. Every person in Scripture who ever met with God, they walked away different. In fact, if you read the rest of Jacob's story, you'll find out he has another face-to-face encounter with God that's very different from this one, and he ends up with a limp for the rest of his life. God changes you if you take the time to encounter him. Jacob, in this case, when he wakes up, he does two things. First of all, he takes that that rock that was his pillow and he turns it into an altar. He stands it up so that everyone can see it. He pours oil on it to sanctify it. And he's basically saying, this is going to be my memorial stone. Every time I come past here, I'm going to look at that rock and remember, that's where I met God. And, And if you read the Old Testament, you see... God's people doing this over and over again. Something big would happen. God would get them through something, and, and they would set up a big pillar or a rock or an altar or something. And it was, it, they were called memorial stones, and it was a way of testifying to the world so that future generations would come and say, hey, what's, why is that rock there? And God's people would say, well, that's the place where uh, God made the River Jordan stop flowing so we could cross. So that's the place where God delivered us in battle. You know that song, Here I Raise My Ebenezer? Ebenezer is a rock that Israel set up because they won a battle that they weren't supposed to win. All through the Scriptures, this is done. So that's the first thing Jacob does. He sets up a memorial, a memorial stone to testify to others. And the second thing he does is he makes a vow. He says, Lord, when I come back to this place like you promised, and if, if I'm still alive then, if, if you fulfill everything you've promised me, and I'm still here, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything I have. And that's, that's called tithing. Now, don't get nervous, and you can take your hand off your wallet. This isn't a tithing sermon. We're not going to take up a second offering. But I want to say a couple of things about this. Number one, Jacob's not the first person to get this idea of giving a tenth back to God. The first person in Scripture we see do it is Abraham, his grandfather. And secondly, why does Jacob give? See, Jacob's not... He's not saying... I know the classic uh, uh, story of promising God things like, Lord, if you get me out of this mess, I'll go to church every Sunday the rest of my life. That's not what Jacob's doing. Jacob is saying, now that I know you, now that I see who you are, I want to give myself to you fully, hold nothing back. And the best way I know to symbolize it is to give you a tenth. Because that's a sacrifice, but I know you're going to bless me. And that's the thing about tithing. Just your, here's your little quick tithing pitch. You don't do it for the tax benefits although they're real. You don't do it because God needs money, because He doesn't. You don't do it to keep the lights on and keep the preacher paid, although, thank you. And it does take money to run a church. Now, the reason we tithe is because it's a wonderful reminder to us every time we write that check or or get online and, and send it that way or put the money in the plate, it's a wonderful reminder to us, everything I have is His. And I'm just, I'm committed enough to him. In fact, this is a great way. If you want to commit your life to the Lord, start giving. But here's here's what I'm saying to you. You may notice that when I preach, there's two things I always try to do, no matter what I'm preaching on. I always try to make sure that you hear about the gospel. You hear about Christ's death for you on the cross and his resurrection. And secondly, I want to make sure that I always try to leave you with some kind of action step to follow. And you may take that advice or you may not. That's okay. I'm not going to quiz you about it, and it certainly won't determine whether you get into heaven or not. I'm just trying to give you a way, a suggested way to respond to God's Word. 
Because if you walk out of here and nothing changes, then you haven't worshipped. And God may speak to you a totally different way through a message, and you may say, well, your suggestion's fine, but here's what I'm going to do instead. Just make sure that something changes. Because if, if you encounter God and you walk away unchanged, then you haven't worshipped. But if you encounter God and you walk away changed in some way, even if it's just a small thing, then two things happen. Number one, you set up your own memorial stone. Because that action you take whether it's calling up somebody and apologizing to them, whether it's starting to pray in a new way, whether it's, whether it's uh, obeying God in something else. People are going to notice. And they're going to say, what, what happened to you? Why are you doing this? And just like a memorial stone, you'll have the opportunity to say, here's why. Here's what God said to me, and here's, here's what I'm doing. And secondly, it'll be like Jacob's vow. It'll be something that you do not because you are worried about your salvation, you want to impress God, and you want Him to let you into heaven, because that's not the way it works at all. Hallelujah. He loves you just the way you are and couldn't love you anymore if you're willing to receive it. Now, what you do, you do out of a sense of gratitude and love. You, you do because I have a God that loves me so amazingly, I just have to say thank you in some way. And Lord, here's a little, little bitty piece of something I can do for you. It's gratitude. It's joy. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond? If worship is feeling a sense of awe and worship is, is hearing God's voice and knowing His will, if worship is submitting to His plan, then what do we do? Because, I'll be honest with you, most of us don't experience that in worship. We come in, we sit for an hour, we hopefully stay awake, right? And, and we go home. So I think if you, can, if you can accept this, I think part of our problem is that a lot of us come into this as consumers. And again, we look at it like we would look at a restaurant or a movie or a play or a ball game. It's, it's about us getting what we want. And then I look at Jesus. And I look at the story of, of Jesus meeting Nathaniel in John chapter 1 and and Nathaniel's going to go on to be one of his 12 disciples, but at this point, he's just met Jesus, and he's very impressed with him, and Jesus says, hey, follow me, you'll see even better things than that. And then he says in John 1.51, he says, you, if you keep following me, you'll see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, what is Jesus saying there? He's calling himself the Son of Man, which is a messianic title, and he's saying, I'm the new Jacob's Ladder. Jacob saw this stairway going up into heaven. It was God's sign that, yeah, God's will in heaven is being done down on earth. I'm now the fulfillment of that. I am God's will in heaven being done on earth. How did that happen? God's will was done through Jesus, not through his teaching or his miracles or even his perfect life. God's will was done through Jesus through his death because Jesus laid down his life for you and for me and rose again the third day. And so what that says to me about worship is, if we want to experience worship, we don't come to Him as consumers saying, okay, Lord, here I am. Show me something. Feed me. And we come to Him as sinners in need of salvation. We come to Him every week saying, Lord, I need You. I, I, I am here today because I don't want to live another day without a connection with You. I need to feel a sense of awe because... Up to now, it's been all about me and, and, and I've been way too big in, in my own plans and my own life and my own thinking. Make me small and make me see how big you are. 
Lord, I I need to know your plan. I need to hear some word from you. Even if it's not what I want to hear, even if it doesn't answer any of the questions I now have, whatever's on your agenda, I need to hear it. And Lord, I need to submit to you. I need to surrender to you. In some part of my life, I need to change. So show me what it should be today. So my challenge to you, my challenge to you is starting today, from today until next Sunday, that you would prepare for worship by asking God those three things. Lord, help me feel a sense of awe. Lord, help me to hear your voice. Help me, Lord, to surrender to your will. Give me a hunger for worship. Give me a a sense of discontentment with chicken McNuggets and help me to long for what really satisfies. Would you pray? Would you join me in prayer over the next week that God would make us a truly worshiping church? That's what I'm calling on us to do.